Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering you to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway Pierce. Everybody listening out there, my name is Speeway, and thank you for taking the time to join us for another episode of our Successful Relationship Series, an idea exchange for a different kind of conversation about what makes relationships tick. Now, I have to tell you, this has been an exciting week, and uh, some of you who got the email may know why. It is because this week marked the launch of the official website for this show. So please check it out. It is at www.thespeewayshow.com. This is the place where you can listen to the shows, see what's coming up, read and post comments, and do all sorts of other fun things. If Facebook is more your speed, you can join in the discussion and listen to posted on-demand shows on your own time on the fan page, facebook.com slash Show. You can also actually see a listing of all of the past shows on thespeewayshow.com, and you can also submit your comments, and you can also submit any requests that you have. Let's say you want to be a guest on the show, or you might have uh, some, um, if you want to send me an email, you can do that on the website as well. Or you can just uh, use the email info at thespeedwayshow.com. So this was pretty exciting this week because um, it's a pretty cool website. So I'd love it if you would check it out and let me know what you think. You can also follow the show on Twitter, twitter.com slash thespeedwayshow. If you would like to listen to the show on the phone, Or if you have friends who would like to just call in, you can also call in at 877-560-6033. In the past, I've had people who might not have been close to a computer, but they instead wanted to just be able to call in. It's kind of like a conference call. And um, you won't actually get picked on unless you have something to say. And um, if if you do call in, then I'll let you know that um, you know you simply press one if you actually want to speak. Otherwise, you can just listen, uh, and I won't uh, put you live on the air. You can also Skype in, and uh, it's a Skype to Skype call, so it's free and um, no cost for you during the course of the show. Our topic today is winning at work. We all want to be successful at work. My favorite motivational speaker happens to be Zig Ziglar. And Zig, uh, in some of his uh, recordings, Zig would say that we all want to be healthy, happy, and reasonably prosperous, and some of us want to be unreasonably prosperous. And um, that always made me chuckle, but I think that's true, that we all want to do well at work. And not surprisingly, relationships drive your career success. So how do you do it when, for example, the odds seem to be stacked against you? Perhaps you are the only woman in what feels like a shark tank of men. Maybe you are the only minority. Maybe you are the only openly gay or lesbian member of your uh, workforce or in the ranks that you are in. Or maybe you are so high up the corporate ladder there is no one to turn to for mentorship. So how do you keep it together and how do you excel? Today we are going to talk about finding career success, particularly by treating everyone with respect. Before we start, let me tell you about the genesis for this topic. Uh, those of you who know me will know that I am a lawyer and um, I consider myself reasonably successful. In July 2011, I was featured on the cover page of a magazine called Savvy.mn and I was also the feature story. This show here now 
derives from the conversation that I had with Melissa Gilman, who is the editor of Savvy.mn. And she happens to be a woman that I greatly admire and hope to one day interview for the show. It is my hope that you're going to find some value in this conversation and get your own ideas about how to improve the relationships you have at work. Of course, there have been so many books published about this very topic, so this is not supposed to be or intended to be an all-inclusive set of things, but these are just a couple of very high-level points that I have found to be particularly useful, especially for those of you who, for whatever reason, feel like you are a minority of some sort within your working environment. I am talking in particular to you today. Now, if I were interviewing someone else on this show, this is the point where I would recite my guest's professional background and accomplishments. So let me tell you about my professional past, which will give you some context for why I am talking to you about this topic today. As you know, one of my mottos is everyday people, everyday lives. You don't have to be a celebrity to be a guest on our show because we all have everyday joys and challenges. So Even though I've been featured on a magazine cover, I do not consider myself a celebrity. I consider myself an everyday person. And hopefully this will be an example for those of you who are thinking about being guests on the show. A little bit about me. I have been practicing law for 18 years. I am currently the Associate General Counsel at a medical device company where I manage the company's global litigation. This work entails managing our litigation portfolio as well as developing processes, policies, and procedures to mitigate litigation risk. We have operations in 23 countries, and in addition to managing litigation risk, I support seven of those countries by serving as what we like to call their legal buddy. And what that means is I am the point person for addressing all of their legal issues. We get together once a month and talk about what's going on. Sometimes I do the work myself. In fact, most of the time I do the work myself to address whatever we need to address. And other times it means I pull in other members of my team that have expertise in a particular area at issue. For example, compliance or customs or trade compliance or commercial transactions, that sort of thing. Before my current position, I was a senior associate at a commercial litigation law firm in Minneapolis, and uh, my clients were mostly Fortune 500, Fortune 250 companies there. Before that, I was the manager of corporate strategic alliances at a Fortune 250 company in Des Moines, Iowa. Iowa, by the way, as much as I love living in Minnesota, Iowa was probably the sunniest and the friendliest place I have ever lived. So shout out to my friends in Pella, Iowa and in Des Moines. Before that, I was at another firm where I was self-employed from the time I graduated from law school until I left that firm, and uh, that lasted, uh, I was at that job for a little over four years, and I, even though I was self-employed, I reported to the woman who owned that particular firm. I have some accomplishments over the years that I uh, confess that I am proud of. I am a fellow of the American Bar Foundation. It is an honorary organization of lawyers, judges, and legal scholars whose public and private careers have demonstrated outstanding dedication to the welfare of their communities and to the highest principles of the legal profession. Okay, that wasn't me saying that's what I think, but um, that was that's actually the description that is on the um, fellow's website. And so I thought, wow, they want me? This is nice. The number of state fellows in each jurisdiction is limited to one-third of 1% of the lawyer population. So to get in the fellows group is a pretty big deal. 
I was selected as a leading executive by the National Executive Forum, a nonprofit organization focused on executive leadership development encompassing top executives across major industries. You may remember that in one of our previous shows, Career or uh, Career versus Relationship, Can They Coexist? I interviewed the CEO and the founder of the National Executive Forum, and I'm going to mention him a little bit later, but it's the same organization. And if you miss that show, I'm going to suggest to you when we get there that you take a, take a listen to it. It was a pretty good show. I am also the past president of the Minnesota Association of Black Lawyers. It is the Minnesota chapter of the National Bar Association. And I was also the webmaster. So if you go to www.mabel.org, you will see um, what I like to think of as a really good website because I'm kind of good at websites. And um, that website was one that I, I launched and we refreshed during my presidency. So I was pretty pleased about that. My present and past volunteer activities include serving in my church on the boards of Aon Homes, the Lewis Boards Foundation, and KMOJ Radio. I have published numerous articles for various publications, including the e-commerce chapter of the Iowa Legal Research Guide published by William S. Hine and Company, Inc. in 2003. And if I ever get around to finishing it, I'm actually working on a book at the moment. If I were to characterize my career, I would have to say, that for the most part, I have always enjoyed the work. Sometimes when people think of the practice of law, they assume that lawyers make a lot of money and they have these great high-powered jobs, and it's, it's kind of a glamorous profession. In some cases, that's true, but in most cases, uh, the reality is that many lawyers work many, many thankless hours, and it is grueling and challenging work. It's not a sexy job when you are up at 3 a.m. on a Saturday morning working on a brief or a motion that has to be filed on Monday and thinking to yourself, boy, there's got to be a better way. But I enjoy being a lawyer, and there is no other career that I would have preferred to have, and I consider that a blessing because I've met many people over the course of my life who have said, Something like, you know, I'm doing this job, but boy, if money wasn't an issue, I would be doing something else. Or I'm really looking forward to my retirement because then I can do what I really want to do. But just as the work is sometimes very challenging, so have the relationships been over the years. I have worked for a, I had a very, very difficult boss at one point in my career, and I have worked for some other bosses who epitomized everything that you should do as a manager or a leader of a team. I have had great relationships with coworkers, and I'm happy to say that that is my situation today. Um, but I have also had very difficult relationships with both coworkers, bosses, and subordinates. And at the end of the day, I think it's true that relationships are such a critical part of any person's success in the workplace. One of the things that makes this show so different from other relationship discussions is that we use the Life Manual as our guidepost for our discussions because you have to have a standard by which you live and measure your life. If you are wondering what a Life Manual is, it is the manual that comes with your body, mind, and spirit. Depending on your personal persuasion, you may use the Hebrew Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Christian Bible, or some other holy writing that speaks to you. While expressed in different ways, the underlying truths about living right and living a godly life tend to be the same. Give me a call if you would like. You can Skype in um, and let me know if you want to tell me what your life manual is. I'd be happy to hear about that. 877 5606033. If you don't use one, that's okay that's okay too. This is a forum where all are welcome and our focus is on the things we share in common that bring us together. 
Because the truth is, you can go anywhere and listen to people talk all day about the things that make us different. But the goal of this show is to be the safe harbor, the safe haven, where we can exchange ideas respectfully about what we believe. My life manual happens to be the Bible, so I went looking for passages on work. I actually, in fairness, I have to say, I I went looking for passages on work in the Bhagavad Gita um, earlier on today, and I have to confess that I do not understand the Bhagavad Gita well enough to quote anything from it. So if any of you listeners have some suggestions, have some passages that you think would be particularly appropriate, you can either call in or you can Skype in or you can send a post a note on the show. We would love to hear about that. Now, most of you may have heard the story of Adam and Eve. So this was, uh, from the biblical perspective, the first man and the first woman ever. And they were placed in the heavenly garden of Eden where all was perfect until they misbehaved. Uh, But the misbehavior is a story for another day. Before the mischief and the punishment that followed, Genesis 2, um, chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So this was before Eve showed up. And what this tells us is that even in the most perfect garden ever, at the most perfect time in biblical history, work was a positive and a good component of daily activity. It suggests then that God created man to be purposefully active and useful in our communities. And so idleness is not something that is promoted by, certainly not by the Bible, and I have never heard anybody who has quoted the Bhagavad Gita who has suggested that either. Um, In the New Testament, Paul writes as follows in his letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. He says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons who we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their own work quietly and to earn their own living. So Paul is basically commanding hard work, and he pretty directly condemns laziness and, you know, people who are busybodies within this this, um, church. We as children of God are called to work hard in whatever professional path we have chosen. And so that is what I got out of my... um, Life manual on this particular topic. There's lots of other stuff that's in there. If you'd like to post a comment, feel free to go to thespeedwayshow.com and um, post a comment if you found a particularly uh, appropriate or pertinent um, passage in your life manual as well. Now let's start with our first clip. If you have listened to the show before, you know I love to use clips because Sometimes the words of another just illustrate a point that you really want to make in a way that is so much better than anything you could say. This clip is a little boy who's trying very, very hard to impress his mom, and no matter what he does, he can't get very much out of her. Take a listen. Look, Mom, I drew a picture of me landing on the moon. And... I made the prototype of the rocket out of macaroni. And look, Mom, I made a real rocket based on the macaroni prototype. You are listening to The Speedway Show, and we are talking today about winning at work. If you have friends who would like to call in and just listen to the show, you can Skype for free or call toll-free during the show, 877-560-6033. The number is also posted on the website, thespeedwayshow.com. 
Now, that clip you just heard is the perfect segue to the basic premise we are about to tackle head on. Life is not always fair. So what you heard in that clip towards the end, particularly you heard all that that noise and you heard a gasp, and that was this little boy who probably at the age of about six, it was um, out of the the show Despicable Me. And uh, so he was a little kid, and he actually built a rocket that he launched and sent off to the moon. And he launched it right next to his mother, who then looks up and she gasps, and she's like, oh, my goodness. And um, you heard that even then, you know, he didn't get anything else out of his mom except her sounding very unimpressed. Eh. So here we are. If you are a woman in a position of authority at work, you may have noticed in your career or in the careers of other women that a woman who is too aggressive can be labeled with a disparaging word or two or three, too soft, and she may be seen as ineffective. Life is not fair, right? On the other hand, a man is too aggressive, rarely receives a bad word, And when he does, it appears he is given much more leeway than a woman. And perhaps the one exception to that is if you have um, men in corporate cultures where, because corporate cultures are completely different animals, right? And sometimes um, you, you may have a culture that does not really support that kind of style, but Um, Quite often it is a complaint that I have heard by uh, women in my career that, gee, you know, I have a hard time walking that line between getting things done and being, you know, appropriately assertive, especially with my male counterparts, without being labeled, you know, any host of ugly words that seem to only be, you know, thrown at women in ways that they're not thrown at men. Now, when I did the interview with Savvy.MN, the, uh, Melissa reported that in a 2007 study by the nonprofit organization Catalyst titled The Double Bind Dilemma for Women in Leadership, Damned If You Do, Doomed If You Don't, researchers found several common dilemmas female leaders face. When women act in ways that are consistent with gender stereotypes, such as being soft-spoken or acting in a nurturing manner, they are viewed as less competent leaders. Conversely, when women act against stereotypes, such as acting in an assertive or aggressive manner, they are considered unfeminine and are often disliked. Furthermore, the Catalyst Report found female leaders must prove they can lead over and over again. Now, this particular study was particularly focused on women, but I would submit to you that any individual who is a minority of some kind in their work environment, whether they are um, a a person of color or uh, of a different culture or they have a different sexual orientation, that there might be some of those people who could also very, very easily identify with this particular concept that at the end of the day, I have to prove that I can lead over and over again, whereas my other counterparts do not have the same burden. Still, it doesn't seem fair that women at work have to be smart and competent and well-liked, but this is why we started with our premise where we said life isn't fair, and um, it is what it is, so the question then is what do you do about it? Now, you may also have noticed in your workplace that sometimes the presumption of competence is not equally distributed among the workers, with perhaps some employees Uh, appearing to be given the greater presumption while members of maybe other groups have to prove themselves and even then the amount of proof required seems to call for them to excel rather than simply measure up as equals. 
This is a phenomenon that I have heard quite often among, in addition to the gender groups as we just discussed, it is also often found among racial groups as well, where minority employees feel like, uh, or employees of color feel like, their bar is higher than that of their Caucasian counterparts. So this is not an uncommon complaint, and it is not, while it's not everyone's experience to be sure, it does occur far too often. Now, as a woman of color myself, one might say I have, therefore, twice the disadvantage, right? On the one hand, I'm a woman. On the other hand, I'm a black woman. Um, and, you know, add to that, I'm I'm an African woman at that because I am from Zimbabwe and I'm, therefore, a, um, I, I come from a different culture. The good news, though, is, uh, and I am here to tell you from experience, that you can succeed notwithstanding whatever societally perceived disadvantages you might have. And perhaps, not surprisingly, much of your success is going to depend on your own attitude as well as your ability to do your work well and build solid relationships. So the first step I'm going to provide in winning to work. Um, I'm going to give you a series of tips throughout the show, and we will talk about each one individually. But the first step is do great work. Understand that at the end of the day, the quality of your work matters a great deal, as it's not the only thing that matters, which is why I didn't say it matters the most, but it matters a great deal. It's right up there next to, you know, your personality and oxygen. As the playing field is, well, as professionals, we can complain all day long about how unfair life is and how the playing field is tilted and the glass ceiling is actually made of solid diamond that cannot be cut with anything and will never shatter. And all of that might be true, but... If the quality of your work is not up to snuff, there will not be much of a defense if you are called on it. My, As I said, my favorite motivational speaker is Zig Ziglar. And Zig says, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. What does your employer want? Or if you are self-employed, what does your client or customer want? There are some people who would say, whether you have an employer or not, you are self-employed because your work and the quality of your work de- de- defines whether or not you get to stay employed for another day or not, just as uh, you would with a customer. And the answer is, what do they want? At the end of the day, they want great output. Whether it's a good or a service, it has to be right and it has to be good. So the first thing they want is good work, so do good work. Do the best work that you can, and that will go a very long way. Um, If your current employer will not pay you uh, enough or more for the great work that you do, uh, Zig is reasonably convinced that somebody else is going to see the work that you do, and they will pay you more for the work that you do. So that is the first point. And to get to our second point, I'm going to play you a clip of the words of wisdom by the venerated Maya Angelou. And, um, you know, known as one of the most honored writers of her generation, I would say it's fair to assume that Maya knows a thing or two about, you know, a great many things. So take a listen. Style is as unique and non-transferable and perfectly personal as a fingerprint. It is wise to take the time to develop one's own way of being, increasing those things one does well and eliminating the elements in one's personality which can hinder and diminish the good personality. You are listening to The Spiray Show, and we are talking today about winning at work. If you have friends who would like to call in and just listen to the show, 
They can Skype in for free or call toll-free during the shows, 877-560-6033. The number is posted on the website, thespeedwayshow.com. You just heard a clip by Maya Angelou from her CD, Wouldn't Take Nothing for My Journey Now, an excellent, um, well, I heard the CD, but an excellent book. And uh, you definitely ought to pick it up and, and check it out because she has many, many words of wisdom. And if you're wondering, for those of you, if you're not quite familiar with Maya Angelou, she is a highly accomplished African-American woman who has been honored by universities, literary organizations, government agencies, and special interest groups. Her honors include a National Book Award nomination for I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, a Pulitzer Prize nomination for her book of poetry, Just Give Me a Cool Drink of Water for I Die, a Tony Award nomination for her role in the 1973 play Look Away, and three, not one, not two, but three Grammys for her spoken word albums. That's just to name a few of her accomplishments. Do you think Miss Angelo knows what she is talking about? Yes, indeed. And I completely agree with her admonition that each individual has to find our own style, particularly in the workplace. If you are a woman, you have to find your own style because you will never be like the guys in every respect, even if you really try and you really think you come close. And on top of that, if it's not who you are, it's not going to be authentic. If you are a person of color, there may be elements of style that may come more naturally to you than others, whether it's in your perspective the things you know about your uh the things you know that your colleagues may not because of your your unique experiences your ability to connect with people from different cultures because as in my case being from a different country there are um cultural commonalities that i pick up when i talk to other people from different cultures and uh people from other countries The bottom line is embrace all the positive elements of who you are and be authentic. And you might be surprised at how well-received you will be when you occupy your own authentic space. Number two, establish your positive brand. This kind of follows on from the whole idea of doing good work and being authentic. Let me read you an excerpt from my interview with Melissa Gilman, editor of Savvy.MN Magazine, about being a black woman in the professional workplace. I said, I am as much a minority as you get in the work environment. Sometimes I hear women lament that I'm not one of the guys, but that just means you have to find your own voice. At any given table, I am the only one that looks the way I do. Now, I could bemoan it, or I could ask, will the CEO remember me because I'm the only woman in the room, because I'm the only black person in the room, or because I had something really smart to say? This takes us to our second tip for winning at work, which is establish your positive personal brand. The qualities that you will be known for because you consistently exhibit these traits. One day my boss commented, and this wasn't that long ago, that he had never seen me in a bad mood. He said, I've seen you tired, but I've never seen you in a bad mood. And I have to say, that surprised me because by this time I had worked at this place for two years, and I sat back and I tried to think of a day when I was in the office in a foul mood. Well, I couldn't think of one, and it was just an illustration of the fact that I had inadvertently established that as part of my personal brand and not even realized it. Now, hopefully you are more deliberate in establishing the critical aspects of your personal brand. You already started by doing great work in our first tip, and now you are working on the other elements of your personal brand that you will be remembered for. 
So now it's not just, now you're not just the only woman, the only gay man, the only Asian man in your circle, but you have transcended that to be an incredibly smart, industrious, solution-oriented individual whom everybody would be thrilled to have on their team because they know that you always come prepared and you have real solutions and drive results. Hello. (laughs) Now, to launch our third point, uh, take a listen to, again, Maya Angelou talking about complaining. Another time, a whiner would mule. I hate plowing. That packed down dirt ain't got no reasoning, and the mules ain't got good sense. Sure ain't. It's killing me. I can't ever seem to get done. My feet and my hands stay sore, and I get dirt in my eyes and up my nose. I just can't stand it. And my grandmother, again, stoically, with her arms folded, would say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then look at me and nod. As soon as the complainer was out of the store, my grandmother would call me to stand in front of her. And then she would say the same thing she had said at least a thousand times, it seemed to me. Sister, did you hear what brother so-and-so or sister much to do complained about? You heard that? And I would nod. Mama would continue. Sister, there are people who went to sleep all over the world last night, poor and rich, white and black, but they will never wake again. Sister, those who expected to rise did not. Their beds became their cooling boards, and their blankets became their winding sheets, and those dead folks would give anything, anything at all, for just five minutes of this weather or ten minutes of that plowing that that person was grumbling about. So you watch yourself about complaining, sister. What you're supposed to do when you don't like a thing is change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it. Don't complain. Well, my favorite part about that is the way she said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it takes us to our third tip for winning at work, which is don't complain. Don't complain about being a woman. Don't complain about being disenfranchised. Don't, for, don't complain about all these kinds of things because if you are in a work environment where you feel like you are being given a raw deal because of whatever your particular characteristic, innate characteristic is, it is highly unlikely that you will garner any sympathy by complaining that you aren't getting a fair shake. Now, if you have legal grounds to file a claim or a complaint because of discrimination or harassment, that is a whole different ballgame and way beyond the scope of our conversation today. What I am talking about is the everyday challenges of working in an environment where you may be the only person of color, the only openly gay or lesbian executive, or you may be the only woman in an executive in the executive ranks of your company. No matter what it is, don't complain. Several weeks ago, we did a show on red flags in romantic relationships. The show was called I Knew We Had Problems When. And one of the solutions we discussed in that show was if you are unhappy with your situation, change your circumstances or change yourself. In the clip you just heard, you hear Maya Angelou saying essentially the same thing. If you don't like a thing, change it. If you can't change it, then change the way you think about it. What does that mean in the work environment? Well, here are just a couple of examples. One way of changing the way you think is that first you need to stop complaining if you have already started. Take a look at your own performance and see if you are truly the fantastic employee you are, or whether there are aspects of your performance that you could and should change. If you want suggestions for the kinds of qualities you should be exhibiting, pick up a copy of the book Good Is Not Good Enough by Keith White. By the time you finish that book, I guarantee you will find areas in your performance that you can improve upon. The other thing that you can do now that you've stopped complaining Start being grateful for the job that you have. 
If you can't think of anything, let's start with the basics. They pay you for working there. Maybe they pay you above average for working there. You may have really good benefits. They, uh, You may have pretty good coworkers when you stop hating them. Uh, count your blessings daily, and the reason you do this is because the more good you find in your work, the better your attitude about it will be, and over time, the more you will find to like about it, and hopefully you will enjoy it. Number three, a suggestion for changing your circumstances. If you've done all of that, everything you can do and genuinely believe you will not be well regarded in this particular work environment, then it's time to think about moving. If you decide to do this, be sure to find a place to work that will be more supportive and a better fit for your personality and your style. Also consider getting some support in your current and future work environment. This is point number four. I interviewed Dr. Eric Winston Walton in the show entitled Career Versus Relationship, Can They Coexist? Dr. Walton is the founder and CEO of an organization called the National Executive Forum that provides, among other things, professional coaching to C-suite executives. You can learn more about it at www.nationalexec.org. This is another organization. Um, this or another organization like it might be just the kind of um, entity to provide you with access to other executives uh, or other people like you who can, in your field or in your position, who can mentor and support you in your transition. And they can also provide a valuable sounding board and keep you honest in your professional walk. Now, take a listen to our next clip because it sets up point number four. Mr. Carnegie insisted upon his people working with each other in an agreeable manner. To prove that he placed a high value on this quality, he helped many who met his standards to become very wealthy. Those who did not conform had to make room for others who did. The importance of a pleasing personality has been stressed because it is so important in rendering service in the proper spirit. If you have a personality that pleases and you render service in a spirit of harmony, these assets often make up for what you may lack in both the quality and the quantity of service you render. Nothing, however, can be successfully substituted for pleasing conduct. Well, there you have it. Uh, on this topic, my boss, whom I adore because he is smart and funny and witty and establishes the best and most productive environment for his team and always looks for opportunities to give us the right exposure to the right people in the organization, and he takes time to mentor us. Whew, that was a mouthful. Anyway, one day my boss said to me, you know, you can be as technically capable as you want to be, but if people don't like you, you're not going to advance. That was him with his mentor hat on. At the senior levels, everyone is expected to be competent and really good at what they do. That's a basic expectation. What puts you over the top then is whether people can and want to work with you. Take a listen to another clip. Every man or woman must be their own sales force of their personal services. The quality and the quantity of service rendered and the spirit in which it is rendered, determine the price and the duration of employment. To market your personal services effectively, which means a permanent market at a satisfactory price under pleasant conditions, you must adopt and follow the QQS formula. QQS means that quality plus quantity plus the proper spirit of cooperation equals perfect salesmanship of service. Remember the QQS formula, but do more. Apply it as a habit. Analyze the formula to make sure you understand exactly what it means. Quality of service means the performance of every detail in connection with your position in the most efficient manner possible with the object of greater efficiency always in mind. Quantity of service means the habit of rendering all the service of which you are capable at all times with the purpose of increasing the amount of service rendered as you develop greater skill through practice and experience. Emphasis is again placed on the word habit. Spirit of service 
means the habit of agreeable, harmonious conduct, which will induce cooperation from associates and fellow employees. Adequate quality and adequate quantity of service is not sufficient to maintain a permanent market for your services. The spirit in which you deliver service is a strong determining factor in connection with both the price you receive and the duration of your employment. Andrew Carnegie stressed this point in his description of the factors that lead to success in the marketing of personal services. He emphasized again and again the necessity for harmonious conduct. He stressed the fact that he would not retain any man, no matter how great a quantity or how efficient the quality of his work, unless he worked in a spirit of harmony. You are listening to the Speedway Show, where our topic for today is winning at work. You will be able to listen to the show on demand, um, actually, uh, as soon as the show is over, if you missed it, www.thespeedwayshow.com, our new website, which just launched. Yay! So working well with others is easy to do when everyone is happy with the decisions that you're making, right? But what about when you, let's say you're the boss, have to do something unpopular, such as tell employees they can't wear jeans to work, or much worse, lay off one or more employees. As a lawyer, I have faced many of these tough times at work where difficult decisions had to be made and have a consistent approach to handling them. I treat people like my family, who I really like. Okay, so it's not those other family members that you kind of feel like you're supposed to love them, but you really don't even like them. Not like those family members, the ones you actually really love, the ones you're close to, the ones you even like, like a lot. So treat your coworkers that way. The, the question I always ask is, if this was my dad, my mom, my sister, my niece, my aunt, how would I want to treat them? assuming I really like them and I love them. It has to always be with respect and love. Now, you might be thinking, love? I don't even, I don't love my coworkers. I don't even like them. And the answer to that is love is a choice and love is a verb. Here are some examples of what that looks like in the workplace. Let's say you do have to lay off, you work in the human resources department and you have to lay off or terminate an employee. You can be callous or smug or you can do it with compassion and gentleness. You can choose to understand that the anger and lashing out you might experience from that employee is a result of the fear, maybe even the shame or the embarrassment and a host of other negative emotions that that person is experiencing because this is a difficult situation for them. Let's say another example. You are given a presentation and faced with an antagonistic audience member who seems determined to play stump the chump, and it's clear she thinks you are the chump. You are the chump. Now, you might have to call on her. Uh, and demonstrate that you're an excellent command of your facts and may ask her questions to put her on the defensive and shut her up. But you follow the direction of your life manual and you state your truth gently and with respect. Or maybe you are faced with a consistently insubordinate direct report, maybe the kind of employee who just outright refuses to do what you ask, She ignores your direction and does exactly the opposite. Maybe um, he is rude, cantankerous, and difficult to work with. Uh, You might even be convinced that he is treating you this way because you are a woman, Uh, maybe because you are younger than he, or maybe you think it's because you are gay, or maybe you think it's because of your racial or ethnic background. There may be legal recourse available to you if you have some evidence of discrimination, but you may end up having to terminate this employee. Even then, remember that this employee may be the unfortunate result of his or her upbringing, may have fears of his own that drive his behavior, and even then, treat him with love. After all, anyone can be nice to people who are nice to them. The true test of love and solid character is whether you can be good to people who are not good to you, even when they're not being good to you. 
In the Savvy.mn article, I was quoted as saying, if you treat people with decorum, respect, and integrity, you will find the work environment becomes a lot less hostile. People want to work with you because you are always going to treat them well. I have found that personally to be true. And um, not to say that I've always gotten it right, but I do notice there's a correlation between the willingness of people to work with me when I do get it right and their unwillingness to work with me when I don't get it right. And this takes us to our next clip. These illustrations are mentioned here to show that we are where we are and what we are because of our own conduct. If there is a principle of cause and effect that controls business, finance, and transportation, this same principle controls individuals and determines their economic status. Courtesy and service are the watchwords of merchandising today, and they apply to the person who is marketing personal services even more directly than to the employer. In the final analysis, you are employed by the customer. If you fail to serve well, both you and your employer will pay for it by the loss of the privilege of serving. Well, you are listening to The Speedway Show. Today our topic is winning at work, and we are examining things that you can do to win at work even when you might feel like you have the deck stacked against you, maybe because of your gender, maybe because of your race or ethnic background, maybe because of your sexual orientation, maybe because of your age or any number of challenges and and issues that present themselves as factors. And this, of course, is not a discussion of legally actionable conduct that other people may be directing towards you. So we're not talking about the legally hostile environment or anything like that. We are just talking about the everyday challenges of trying to get your work done, especially when perhaps you might recognize and feel like you do not look like the majority of the people that you are working with, and perhaps that may present some challenges. If you are not challenged in your work environment, then these are just the basic foundational tenets that you can utilize in your everyday work life in order to increase your likelihood of success and move up to the next level, whatever that next level might be within your job description and within your organization. Now, we have talked a lot about the importance of getting along with others, even when you have to make tough decisions in the workplace. And that last clip that you heard was an admonition to be courteous. And I have to say that over the course of my career, I have observed that that admonition is very well taken. Courtesy and the ability to create a harmonious environment are right up there with doing great work. And in fact, in some respects, they are even more important because oftentimes employers take the view that they can always find technical experts. The thing that is hard to find sometimes, especially for smaller organizations or smaller teams within a corporation, are people who are going to be able to come in and be a cohesive force on that team. Because if you only have 10 people on a team and you've got one bad apple, it sours everything. And um, so being courteous, creating a harmonious environment, become really, really important assets for any employee. Number six, tip number six, and this will be um, six of seven, really. We have talked a lot about the importance of getting along with others, even when you have to make those tough decisions within the workplace, 
being liked at work is important, but it is not worth sacrificing your values or your integrity. Finding your own authentic voice and style, as we talked about earlier, also means accepting the things that you will not do in order to fit in. For example, it might mean you don't go to the bar after work in an attempt to act like one of the guys because you know that you are not one of the guys and you never will be. And in fact, in some circles, if you go out drinking with the guys, you may come back with labels on your back that you never intended and did not want. Maybe having your own authentic voice and style mean that you don't act harsh in order to gain respect. You do not try to manage by intimidation. And um, oftentimes, depending on your personality and uh, sometimes, too, your gender, it just may not work. And um, all of this is helped if you actually like people. And that sounds like maybe a really basic thing to say. But, you know, I have met people who don't like who just generally don't like other people. They want to be alone. They would much rather be self-employed and, you know, single-employee self, uh, single entrepreneurs because they do not fundamentally, they don't like other people, they don't trust other people, and they hate, you know, every single job they ever had. So it helps. It helps a great deal if you either like other people or you can bring yourself to like other people. In my conversation with Melissa Gilman, I said, stick to your values and integrity and you can't regret it. You're not going to sway with the wind to protect your income or your job. In the end, your integrity is all you have. And if you're in the right work environment, that integrity will be recognized and valued. If it is not, then maybe you're not in the right workplace and you have a whole different set of decisions to make about your career then, right? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, gee, how is any of this particularly applicable to women or ethnic or other minorities? They sound like universal principles to me. And they are. This is not a gender thing. It's not a race thing. It's a human thing. No matter what walk of life you come from, no matter your past, always treat people with unyielding integrity. Um, I actually use that from our CEO who, who always admonishes us to do our work always with unyielding integrity, and I think that is so true and it's so important. If you do that long enough, and establish that as your personal brand. When or if someone badmouths you or says something ugly about you in the work environment, people will know what is true because they will know what your personal brand is. So this now brings us to the end of our show today. So to wrap up, number one, how do we win at work? Do great work. Number two, establish your positive brand. Number three, don't complain. Number four, have a pleasing personality. Number five, work well with others no matter how difficult they are. Number six, be true to yourself. And number seven, never, never, never stop growing. To all my listeners, thank you so much for joining me on the Speedway Show. Do check out the new website and listen to past shows. Post your comments. Submit a request if you have ideas for shows you'd like to hear or if you'd like to be a guest on the show. You can do all of this at thespeedwayshow.com. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at the email address, info at thespeedwayshow.com. You can also visit the Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow, or follow me on Twitter. Guess what the handle is, twitter.com slash thespeedwayshow. There you have it, lots of ways to interact with me and the show. Everyday people, everyday life, if you want to be a guest on the show, please be our guest. Send me a note from thespeedwayshow.com. 
And join me next week for another episode of our show. Back by popular demand will be Barbara Hoffmeister, who will be talking about moments to be. To get a flavor of her wisdom, check out her first show, which was incredibly popular. It was called Your Happiness, Your Misery, Your Choice. It is available on demand on thespeedwayshow.com. Until then, this is Speedway saying, go in peace until we see each other next week. Thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply.